Let's open our Bibles. Open our Bibles together, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, earlier, uh, Brother Kenny, he just happened to be the one that walked up to the mic, and we got a feedback loop, which, quite honestly, is really hard to accomplish. Um, it is. We have equipment that shuts that off as soon as it starts to happen. So I was, I was watching James. James is back in the booth. I was watching James have a heart attack back there as it was happening. So it's like, why, why is this going on? First <laughs> Peter chapter 2. I have so much that I want us to look at this morning that I really believe that God wants us uh, to see uh, concerning the passage that we're looking at in 1 Peter. But it's not in 1 Peter. The passage that I believe we're going to spend most of our time in this morning is actually in Matthew. But I want to set the, the context before we go back and look uh, deeper into this truth. When you get to the book of Hebrews in your Bible, just picture in your mind, you come past um, the pastoral epistles, and you finish, you have First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, and we're not going to talk about those, but after that you come to the book of Hebrews. From the book of Hebrews to the book of Jude, which is the book before the book of Revelation, you have what's known as the general epistles. These are called, these you should understand as the reality epistles. Starting in the book of Hebrews, God demonstrates, and this is so, so important to your life, God demonstrates through the book of Hebrews that the reality, the truth is, that everything that was pictured in the tabernacle, in the temple, in the priesthood, in the offerings, everything that was pictured throughout our Old, our Old Testament is really truly found in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is really important. I, I, I don't have time this morning to express to you how important it is that you do not have religion in your life, but that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ according to the word of God, that, that what is being uh, held to in your heart and mind is not cleverly, crafted sermon outlines, not men and or women preaching and teaching things that, that matter to them or that they want to convey, but that you're simply believing what God says about this. Now, beginning in the book of Hebrews, God is making it very, very clear. Here's what's happened. The, the Jews, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Hebrews, the Hebrew nation, largely rejects that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. Now, we find that what Jesus says, we looked at it together last week, what Jesus says in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, this is what he says. She says, we, the Samaritans, worship up here on this mountain, and you, the Jews, worship in Jerusalem, and I know that Messiah is going to come and he's going to straighten this all out. And what he says to her is this, young lady, you worship you know not what. You don't understand what you're doing. We worship as we should because salvation is of the Jews. In other words, the tabernacle, the, tabernacle, the temple in Jerusalem matters. But all of that was pointing to something. 
The hour is coming and now is. You go back and look at this in John chapter 4. The hour is coming and now is when those who will really worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth because God is a spirit. And if you're going to have a relationship with him, listen, this is really important. Understand what I say, when I, what I mean when I say this. Fleshly efforts are of no value to you. Religious fleshly efforts are of no value to you. Cain brought, I believe, honestly, I believe that Cain brought the most remarkable fleshly efforts that have ever been brought to God at the very beginning. Cain came before God. Nobody told him to. Nobody made him. It was all of his own volition. He said, I believe that God ought to be worshipped and that he ought to receive the best that I can possibly give him. So he took the best that he could produce, literally produce, a basket of fruit and vegetables, and he brought this to God and said, here is the best that I can do, and I give it to you as an expression of worship. And Abel came through the blood of a lamb. And God said to Abel, you can approach me through that blood. But he said to Cain, Cain, Listen, this is so important to all of us. It's so important to all of mankind, all of the religions throughout the world, including much that's called Christianity. God said to Cain at the very beginning, you cannot approach me in your own good works because they're not good enough. But you can come by the blood. Everyone can come by the blood. And all, everything, literally your entire Old Testament, God is revealing to us the, the plan that he has for all of mankind, as that is this. Just believe me, I am making provision for you. Now this, is, of course, is very humbling to us. But it is necessary that you be humble if you're going to have a relationship with God. God says, I love you, I want to have a relationship with you, but our relationship is going to be based upon me providing for you because you cannot provide for yourself. And if you'll have that relationship with me, this will be wonderful. This is what I want for you. Now, in Hebrews, we have this great high priest, the real great high priest, who ever lives to make intercession for us, but not just to make intercession for us, but to pour out the power of God through the Holy Spirit, which dwells within everyone who's born again. Everyone who's a new creature has the Spirit of God living within them, and the Spirit of God has the power to make each one of us the man or woman, or young person, that God would have us to be. In other words, I, in me, according to the Apostle Paul, that is, in my flesh, that dwelleth no good thing. I'm just not a good person. Anybody can testify to that? I'm just not a good person. But the Holy Spirit is good. And the Holy Spirit isn't just good, the Holy Spirit is great. And the Holy Spirit is great enough to overcome me in me. Do you understand? So I can be a husband, like I should be, a father, like I should be, a pastor, like I should be, a friend, a neighbor, all of those things, none of them possible in my own strength. No matter how hard I try, not possible in my own strength. But praise God to the Spirit of God living within us, it can be and will be done. Now, when you leave the book of Hebrews and you come into the book of James, that whole new quality of life, the promise of the book of James is that God wants you to have that whole new quality of life in your every day life. Here's the problem with Christianity in America. People behave themselves differently on Sunday morning than they do the rest of the week. You know what that's called? 
It's called hypocrisy. That's just acting. People put on Christian masks, come to church and spend time around each other. But this is not what God wants for us. Listen, the power of God that saved you, if you're really born again, is the power of God that can make you into the person that you should be on Thursday night, not just on Sunday morning. On Saturday night, not just on Sunday morning. Every hour of every day of your life, of my life, the power of God within us can make us into the man and women that God would have us to be. Amen? This is the promise of God. We don't have time to go back and look at the book of James, but that's it. In your everyday life, the power of God in your life. If you have Christ, you have this power. And in James, the reality epistles begin to deal with what do you really have? Do you really have what you say you have? Now, we come to 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, the, the promise of 1 Peter is given to us, I believe, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Whom having not seen, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, it's at the end of verse 7, Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You and I have a period of time from the time that we were born again until the time we leave, either through us leaving individually or the Lord Jesus coming and receiving us and just taking us all at the same time home. One of those two things. One of those two ways, everyone here, from the time you are saved to the time that you leave, you can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? How? Because of who Jesus is. And because of the gift of the Spirit of God, you don't have to pretend. I am so hurt for people who feel the need to pretend to have joy. God does not want you to have to have pretend joy. It's not what he wants. God wants you, the, wants you to have a peace that passes understanding. And it comes from having peace with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh... You can have what God wants for you. That's what we're learning here. Now, when you get to chapter 2, chapter 2, let's look at the beginning of chapter 2. We'll just read the first couple of verses. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. So let's just, I don't have time to teach this, right? The church, the local church, Christians, Christians should have how much malice? How much malice should there be in Christianity? How much? I mean, honestly, let's be honest, right? None. Laying aside all malice and all guile, how much falseness should there be in the life of the children of God? And the answer is what? None. None. Let me ask you this. How much malice is in there? How much malice is there in the life of the Lord Jesus? None. None. How much guile is there in the Lord Jesus? None. How much envy, how much hypocrisy is in the Lord Jesus? And what's the answer? None. And thank God the answer is none, right? That's what makes him, that's what gives him a name above every other name. It's why we sing, thou art worthy, because he's the only one that is, amen? But if you're a new creature, then praise God, the gift of God is the spirit of God within you. So that we can lay these things aside. We don't have to live this way anymore. But let's just, let's just see. Laying aside all these things, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. In other words, because you're a new creature, find your new food in the only place that you can get that, and that's in the word of God. Be 
in the Word of God. Brother John Crabb, one of the things that Brother John Crabb does well is he says very graciously, very kindly, very hard things. One of the things that he says when he's here with us almost all the time, and that is this, if you don't want to be in your Bible, something's wrong with you. If you profess to be a new creature, if you profess to be a Christian and you don't want to be in your Bible, you're probably lying. Because if, if, if you are a new creature, then the Word of God is milk. In other words, it is necessary. How many of you skip breakfast? Raise your hand if you skip breakfast. Honestly, raise it up high if you skip breakfast. It's a lot of people. I did too, by the way. I skip breakfast all. It's one of the reasons why I'm so overweight. Uh, don't worry, I'll get my three meals. I just don't get them at the right time, okay? Right? I, I, I did not eat breakfast, and you're supposed to eat breakfast. I understand, I don't know why, but I understand it's supposed to be the most important meal of the day, right? Yeah, I remember Mitch saying that the, uh, don't, don't pick on Mitch because he was in the Russian army. It's not his fault. That was, that was mandatory. So the Russian army taught them, eat all of your breakfast, share your lunch, and give your dinner to your enemy. In other words, if you're going to eat, eat your breakfast and eat all of your breakfast. Okay? Now, those of you who skip breakfast, and there was a fair number of us that did, how many of you are planning on skipping lunch? Raise your hand again. Honestly, if you're, ready, if you're going to skip lunch, raise your hand again. Nobody. nobody. Literally, no. I'm not going to either, by the way. Right? I'm going to have breakfast and lunch after the, after the morning service. Right? right? And maybe I might have breakfast again before I go to bed tonight. Maybe. We'll see how that works out. We will eat every day. Why? Because we're actually hungry. How many of you, and don't be ashamed, how many of you have ever had a baby of your own? Raise your hand if you've had a baby of your own. Please go ahead. Ladies, it's hard work. We were talking about it earlier today. If men had babies, there'd be a lot less people in the world than there are today. Right? I mean, because after a man had a baby, not only would he never have another baby, he would tell all of his friends, don't do this. It was really hard. I was there when our children were born, and it is really hard. All right, so all of you who have babies, how many of the babies get hungry more than once a day? Raise your hand if your babies get hungry more than once a day. Now, how many of you are sure about that? How many of you had no doubt that your child was actually hungry more than once a day? Was it pretty clear? Were they pretty clear about it? Yes? Were they insistent, perhaps, about it? Yes? Yes? Right? Why? Because it's a sign that everything's okay with the baby. Anybody ever have a baby that wasn't hungry? And, and again, if you ever had a baby that wasn't hungry, raise your hand if you ever had a baby that went through time. Were you nervous? Right? Very nervous, right? Why do, listen, I, I, you bring your baby to the hospital and this is what you say. My baby's not hungry. And the doctor says, well, that's enough reason to bring your baby to the hospital. Because your baby, because something's wrong. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If you're a new creature and you're not in your Bible much, something's wrong. At best, at best, you are not growing as God would have you to. At worst, you're not a newborn babe. You're not actually a child of God. Be honest with, listen, we're talking, it's not my eternity that we're talking about. It's your eternity that we're talking about. Does the word of God mean nothing to you? You're in trouble. You're in trouble. We're not talking about being a good religious person. We're not talking about acting right, talking right, walking right, smelling right, doing the right thing. It's not what we're talking about. If you're a new creature, 
then the word of God becomes precious to you. It became precious to me. And I promise you, before God began to deal with my heart, I would, God began to deal with my heart at the age of 22 years old. Before God began to deal with my heart, I cared nothing for the Bible. Nothing. Now, I'm not saying I cared nothing for church. I actually went to church before I was saved. But I cared nothing for the Bible. Everything that I needed to get, I could get from the man who was being paid, as far as I was concerned, to stand up in front of us all and bore us for 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes on Sunday mornings. But that's not what God wants for us. What he wants for each and every one of us is for all of the things that ruin our lives to be removed from us. And what are the things that remove or ruin our lives? Malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. He wants those things gone and he wants them replaced, praise God, by the word of God in our life. Amen? How, how wonderfully important. Now, if so be, it says in verse 3, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you know the grace of God, then there should be a hunger for the word of God in your life. Period. And that's it. That's it. That's, that's, that, that's, that's all we're going to say in those verses. What I'd like to do is I'd like to turn our attention. I'm going to read some verses. To whom, talking about the Lord, right? That's verse 3. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore it also it is contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is become the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they are appointed. Now verse 9 says, but ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. John read all the way through this. A holy nation. A peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And praise God for that. Now last week we went back and we looked at the woman at the well. And we looked at the fact that Jesus promised her. Listen, this is so important. Jesus promised her a spiritual power. Yes? Right? He said, honey, I know that you come here to get your water in the middle of the day and nobody loves you. But I promise you, if you asked me, I would give you living water and it would change everything. Right? Just on the side of the road, if you will, Jesus meeting with people who need to be met, promising that Jesus is more than enough for their life. Right? To Nicodemus, the chapter before that, in Nicodemus, Jesus said, your religion is not enough. But Nicodemus, I am more than enough. To the woman at the well, Jesus said, your sin is not too much. Because, young lady, I am more than enough. Amen? So it doesn't matter whether you're highly religious and lost or whether you're living a really ugly worldly life and lost. Jesus is more than enough for all of us. And all of us are somewhere in this range. Somewhere between super religious and lost or really ungodly and lost. All of us are somewhere in there. And we may not be all the way over here. And we may not be all the way over here. But Jesus makes it clear to us in two chapters that it doesn't matter if you are. Because he can rescue you even there. Amen. More than enough for everybody. Praise God for that. But not everybody cares. Not everybody wants that. That's what he's saying. 
God has laid the chief cornerstone, and Jesus is that cornerstone. But not everybody cares. Not everybody even wants this. Now, what I'd like you to do with me, I'd like to think about this together. Why would you possibly reject Jesus when he has life and forgiveness? Why would you reject Jesus? Why would you reject the chief cornerstone? Why would you? And by the way, maybe next week we'll go look at Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2. And then we'll go a few chapters later and we'll look at Stephen preaching because the, resp- the message is the same in both places, but the response is completely different. Maybe we'll look at that together next week. But what I want you to do this week is turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And we'll only be a minute. Matthew chapter 19. I, I don't know if you can even believe a preacher when they say that. <laughs> it is my intent to only be a minute. Matthew chapter 19. Starting in verse 16. Matthew chapter 19, starting in, in, uh, in verse 16. We'll read it. And behold, one came unto him, came unto the Lord Jesus. One came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I, might, that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And he said unto him, That will be perfect. Go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." Now, I want to spend just a moment here, but again, what I want to consider is this. Why reject Christ? Why reject Christ? So here's what we find. Now, by the way, beside beside Matthew 19, 16, if you want to write in your margin Luke 18, 18, and the reason I'm asking you to do this is because I'm going to tell you that this is a parallel passage, and it is. There's one in Matthew, there's one in Mark, and there's one in Luke. And in, in, in uh, Luke 18, 18, we find out that this man that's come to see the Lord Jesus is a ruler. And I believe it's important. This is a man, this is a man, he's often referred to as the rich, young ruler, right? So this is the rich, young ruler. And he's come to talk to the Lord Jesus about eternal life, Right? Now notice, now if you will, notice that he says when he introduces himself, and behold, one came unto him and said, open quote, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus' response to him is to not answer the question, but ask him this question, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Now let's stop here. Look up here for just a moment. Now Jesus is God. 
But he wants to make sure that this young man that's asking him the question knows who he's talking to. In other words, you called me good, but I don't think you know why. You called me good because somehow, and I believe, I believe honestly, and I'm not trying to be unkind, but I believe he's flattering him. I believe, I believe that he really truly thinks Jesus knows the answer to his question. I think that's true. But I think he wants a little bit of good ground to stand on when he starts this conversation. And we're all prone to this. Yes, you walk up to somebody, nice tie, right? Did you get a free hat with that when you bought it, you know? So we walk up to somebody, we say something pleasant to them, we start our conversation. So he walks up to the Lord Jesus and he said, good master, and Jesus says, I am good. I am good. But that's because I'm God. There's no, there are, listen, this is so, it really is important. It's hard to say that there are no good people, but there are no good people. There are no absolutely good people, right? Yes? Now, we know people that we trust. We know people that are actually worthy of that trust to a degree. We know people that we could say, hey, I mean, the other day I was, the other day I was at uh, a coffee shop. I was at a coffee shop, and I was sitting at the coffee shop, and I had to go do something. And there were a couple of ladies sitting reasonably close to me having a conversation. And we've been around each other for probably 20 minutes already. They've been sitting there. I've been sitting where I was. And I, and I was working on my laptop while I was sitting there. And I said to these ladies, would you watch my laptop for me while I get up? And they said, sure, we will. Now, I went away and I came back and my laptop was gone. And so were those. No, I'm just kidding. That's not really true. <laughs> So I considered them good. Just by having listened to their conversation, I was, I was confident I was going to be able to trust them to watch. And, and so I'm, when I say that there are no good people, I don't mean that there are no people that do good things. I believe, that there are, I believe that because we are made by God and God has given us a conscience and God has given us natural affection, I believe that we actually do many good things. But I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth what? No good thing. And I hope you do too. I hope you know that if you're going to be saved, it's not going to be by your effort that you're going to be saved. It's going to be the grace of God, the blood of Christ having paid for your sins. Praise God. And this young man needs to understand who he's talking to, just like the woman at the well needed to understand who she was talking to. It, listen, it's so important. I am not asking you to believe Tidewater. I'm not asking you to believe Pastor Chuck Pearson. I'm asking you to believe the Word of God. I only want you to believe the Word of God. But you must believe the Word of God. Because God is good. And listen, I'm not saying God is great. God really is great. God, God is awesome. God is amazing. God is almighty. God is omniscient. God is everything. And I mean that with all of my heart. It's unbelievable. But that's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you this. God is good. God loves you and wants to rescue you from you. With all of his heart, God wants to rescue you from you. That's what he wanted for this rich young ruler. That's why it mattered to him that he understood who he was talking to. Let's, let's watch the conversation, though. There's none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. If you're going to enter into life, by having done all that's necessary, then you're going to have to keep the whole law. Now, here, now, this is a funny thing to me, because this is what the guy's response is. Which ones? Yeah, I mean, I, this kid's life's different than mine was, right? Which ones? Because I'm not sure I'd kept any of them. This is what he says. Thou shalt do no murder. 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then the young man says something that's amazing to me. I don't think he understood at all what he was saying. I don't believe he understood himself well at all. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Now here, underline this. What lack I yet? Because even though this man thinks that he's kept the law, which he hasn't kept, he knows something's wrong. Yes? No? Listen to me. He, he's not meeting Jesus at the, at the judgment seat. He actually approached Jesus to say this. Something's wrong in my life. I believe you have the answer. Can you tell me what the answer is to what's wrong with my life? And Jesus says, well, you asked me this question. You said, how can I earn, how can I inherit eternal life? And the only way you can inherit eternal life is to keep the whole law. And the young man says, I think I'm doing pretty good, but something's wrong. I think I'm doing pretty good, but if that were true, then what's wrong? And this is what Jesus says. Notice, notice his response. Jesus said unto him, if you'll be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Now, this is important. Now, what lack I yet? Right? And this is the answer. Come and follow me. What lack I yet? Come and follow me. What's wrong with me? And the answer is, you're not following Jesus. Amen? 22 years old. This is all I needed, honestly. All that I needed was to actually meet Jesus. That's all I needed. All I needed, all I needed was what Jesus could do for me. That's all I needed. But it was everything. Absolutely everything. And Jesus alone is able to do what is needed in your life and in mine. What lack I yet? Come and follow me. That's the question, and that's the answer. But that's not just the question and the answer for this young man. That's the question and the answer for everyone. But what is his response? Verse 22 says, and it says that actual word. And this is what it could have said. Now, let's remember the woman at the well, right? It was only last week. Let's remember the woman at the well. What was her response? Praise God, right? Her response was literally to leave her bucket and run back to the city and say, come meet a man that loves me. He knows everything about me. He loves me anyway. He saved me. I've met the Christ. Come see the Christ. Amen? Yes? That was her response. What's this young man's response going to be? Notice what it says. But when the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful. And the other passage it actually tells us very clearly that he wept when he walked away. He went away weeping. Picture this. Picture this conversation. You know, Kenny and I could stand down here and act it out, but not well because neither one of us are good actors. So we come down here and I say this to Kenny and we pretend we're having the conversation and we'll make Kenny the, well, he's not young, but we'll do it anyway, okay? We'll make Kenny the rich young ruler, okay? He's not rich either and he's not a ruler, but other than that, he fits the, it fits it perfectly. So, so we stand there and, I'm, and we all know I'm not Jesus, so we can flip it around and it still wouldn't matter. So we have the conversation and, and honestly, if Kenny could act well and he could begin to weep and turn around and walk away you'd say oh he's so close he's so close if he was close then why doesn't Jesus chase him down because he doesn't Jesus lets him walk away why because he's not close because he's not close weeping doesn't make you close by the way weeping doesn't make you saved 
I mean, I, I wept when I was saved. I did weep when I was saved. But I wept tears of joy when I was saved. I, was, I, I could not, I was amazed when I found out that Jesus was on my side. Amazed. I knew I wasn't on his side. I was amazed when I was told that God really loves me so much that he laid down his own life for me. I was glad. I was just like the woman at the well. I'll take that. I will humbly, gratefully confess that I deserve the punishment that I was going to get, and I'll take the free gift. Amen? I hope you have. I mean that with all of my heart. I hope you have. I hope you're not standing, thinking you're going to stand before God one day because you joined a church or you got baptized or you tithed or you gave the mission. I help, I'm telling you, God help you. If you think that's the case, you are not going to be okay on that day. But if you have humbled yourself and acknowledged your need for forgiveness and received the forgiveness that, praise God, Jesus came to purchase for you, then thank the Lord. Amen? This young man wept, and he walked away. Now, I ask this question, and we're almost done. I ask this question, what keeps us, what keeps us from following Jesus? What causes Jesus to be a stumbling block to so many? And I believe the answer is found in the rich, young ruler. And I believe that this is it. Because as I thought about it, as I consider this a great deal, I believe that it's one of these three things that keeps everybody from the Lord Jesus Christ. Rich, young, ruler. So what do I mean when I say that? First of all, it says he, wouldn't, he would not because he had great possessions. I believe that possessions, and by the way, not only do I believe that, if we continue to read the passage in Matthew chapter 19, it makes it very, very clear that people who have possessions are in great, great danger of never, never really trusting Christ for their salvation. You know, it's interesting, Brother Tim Dryley, when Brother Tim Dryley was uh, in uh, Russia, he was a missionary in Russia, and this is, before he, this is before he met Isabella, before he had the children, before he was in Italy, before he was there. So he was a retired Navy SEAL. He had his, his, his Navy retirement living in Russia. Now, first of all, and I mean this, I'm not trying to be unkind, but Tim Dryley can live like a Navy SEAL anywhere in the world. What I mean by that is this. He needs absolutely no creature comfort to survive, right? Boy, was he have a rude awakening when he got married, honestly. Amazing. I mean, it's like, what, I have to have a chair? You know what I'm saying? and a bed and a couch <laughs> and, and a dining room table and the right fork and the right spoon and all of that. So listen, I say this because while he was there, he was talking to someone and they asked him, they asked him this question. They asked him about having to do with why he was there and how he was able to be there. And so what he said is, well, I'm here to preach the gospel uh, throughout Russia and, I'm, and the way I'm here is I have a Navy retirement. In other words, I retired from our federal government, and I have their retirement check that comes into my bank account automatically every month, and I take the money out. And he said, and plus I have a great deal of money, which he doesn't have this anymore either, by the way, a great deal of money in savings. And, I have, and, and so I'm here, and I have all the money that I need to be able to live here as long as I want to and to be able to serve God. And this is what the person said to him. It must make it really easy for you to trust God with all that money in the bank. And this is what his response was. No, it makes it really easy for me to trust me with all that money in the bank. Do you understand? If you're trusting you, you're in big trouble. 
Got to get away. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having money. There really isn't. There's nothing wrong with having an income. Nothing wrong with having a good income. But if you go read this passage, after we're done, I'm not going to do it today. If you go read this passage, there's a great danger in trusting the provision God has given you instead of trusting the God that gave the provision. So that's number one. Number two is young. He's young, right? It says in verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, boy, I'll tell you what, I, I, have, I have run into a fair number of people who are either unsaved because they're waiting to get saved later or they are saved and they're waiting to serve when they get older. And let me tell you, there's two things wrong with this. First of all, if you're unsaved and you're going to get saved later, then there, let me just say this. My brother died in a car accident at the age of 18. So just deal with that. Two, if you're saved, if you're sure you're born again and you're going to serve God but not now, shame on you. Honestly, boy, would I love to have my knees back when I was 22 years old right now. Anybody else? I, I am thankful, I am grateful that I was a serious-minded Christian from the time that I was saved. Not because it has anything to do with my salvation. Really, nothing. Not because of my reward, because quite honestly, as I look back at it now, and I realize how much arrogance there was, how much pride there was in it, how much selfishness there was in it, how much me there was in it, I'm not sure if there's any reward anyway. But let me say this, God would and could use all of you young Christians wonderfully if you'd let him. So let him. But if you're staying away from God, look at me. Some of you, this is true. I want my fun. I want my wickedness. You may die in that wickedness. Would God forgive you of that? Yes, he would, because God is a gracious and wonderfully good God. Does he want you to do it? No, he does not. Does he promise you tomorrow that you'll live through it? No, he does not. No, he does not. These things keep People, this is what made Jesus a stumbling stone. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, follow me. Deny yourself, how often, by the way? Anybody want to, yeah. De daily deny yourself, take up your, know that you're a dead man, and what? And follow me. That's it, that's what Christianity is, right? Now, praise, listen, listen, none of that gets you to heaven. It's all in evidence that you're really a new creature. I deny myself daily, I take up my cross, and I follow him. Why? Because why would I do anything else, right? Yes, Jesus is truly, truly good and wonderful. I just want to walk with him. By the way, those of us that have spent any time walking not with him as Christians can, will testify to this. Wow, what a waste of time that was, right? How vain and empty that was. How miserable that was. And I was so glad to go back and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry I did that. I really just want to walk with you now. Amen? Two things. Young man, great possessions. But the last one is, I believe, important. And as I said, if you go to uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 18, you'll find out that he was a ruler. And I think this is really important to people, right? Who's running the show? I'd love to follow Jesus if he just let me do what I want. Now think about that for just a moment, right? Um, not so, Lord, right? Peter, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says what? Not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. Now, probably many of you are familiar with this, and I believe it's Amy Carmichael. If I'm not, somebody can raise my hand, their hand and say it wasn't Amy Carmichael, but I think it was. Amy Carmichael dealing with serving God, doing what God wanted her to do, and her pastor took her to that passage, not so, Lord, and said you can either circle not so or you can circle Lord, but you can't circle the whole phrase. You make the choice. You can't say not so, Lord, right? If you circle not so, what you're doing is you're saying I'm Lord. And I'll choose what I'm going to do. Yes? 
Or you can circle Lord, and then you've got to put your not-sos away. Lord, I'll do whatever you want. One or the other. That's Christianity. That's, what does Jesus say to him? Let's, let's look at it. We're almost done. Let's just look back for just a moment. What does Jesus say to him? Go sell what thou hast, all that thou hast. Give it to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And the young man said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because Jesus is a rock of offense. He's a stone of stumbling. This, listen, hear me, hear me. This is exactly what's wrong with the Hebrew nation. They wanted a Messiah who was going to come and deliver them from Rome, not from themselves, right? Do you understand? Do you understand? When Jesus came and they saw that he could make bread out of bread and make fish out of fish, they said, whoo, this is going to be great. Hey, you want to throw off the Roman yoke? No, I came to save you from your sin. Sin? Sin doesn't bother me. Rome bothers me. We need you to throw off the Roman yoke. We need to rescue us from them. And Jesus said, I didn't come to rescue you from them. I came to rescue you from you. Amen? And I'm telling you, this is what makes Jesus an offense to so many people. They want Jesus to fix their life so they can live their life the way they want to live their life. And that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to do something far better than that. I mean, honestly, everyone that's really born again here really rejoices in this. I am so glad that Jesus didn't fix my life the way I wanted it. Because guess what? It just would have been more broke than it was before. Amen? But what Jesus comes to do is to set us free from us. Yes? Us. Not our neighbors, not our co-workers, not that religious group down the street, from us. And the rich young ruler did not want to be rescued from himself. He did not. He wanted his stuff. Do you want yours? Let me, and by the way, and we're done. You can have your stuff. You can have your rich, young rule. You can. Now, some of you can't have young anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> and many of you may never have rich either, okay? But you can still sit on your own little throne if you want to. You can. You can't have salvation and sit on your own little throne. But you can sit on your own little throne. Or you can repent. You can be like the woman at the well and say, I have made my life miserable. She had. She knew it. She had made her own life miserable. I have made my life miserable, and I will be glad for the Messiah to rescue me from me. Amen? That's what Jesus wants to do. And thank, listen, I am so thankful that this is what God has come for, that God has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Just acknowledge that you're lost. If you'll acknowledge that you're lost, Jesus will save you. Jesus didn't come to save good people. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you just continue to use your word in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that your children would repent, each and every one of us, Lord, that we would repent of our own things, whatever they would be. Lord, that we would recognize the emptiness. But Lord, above all of this, that we would recognize that if we don't put these things down, going back to the passage that we looked at in uh, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, if we don't put these things down, they're going to hurt the people around us because that hypocrisy hurts them terribly. Lord, may we be done with selfishness. May we be done with envy. May we be done with any malice, with any pretense. Lord, may we be done with these things. And then, Lord, for those that are here who are just not saved, they're just not born again, would they come to the end of themselves? Would they stop weeping and walking away from Jesus and instead weep and kneel before Jesus and let him save them? 
Father, ask you to accomplish this in their lives. Please, I can't, no one else can. We ask you to. We would be glad to be whatever help we can, Father. Accomplish this in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, and the sake of those that need it. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Thank you for being here. We'll be back together again tonight. Lord willing, at 6 o'clock. Choir's at 5.